in coming to a <clears throat> retreat center, you walk into a room like this and it's laid out in the way it, which it is with a statue of a person sitting up there the way he is. It makes it seem that meditation is sitting still just the way we are. Perhaps that's why we've come. That is, we've come to symbolize meditation as a person sitting still, cross-legged, quietly. Whereas the sitting posture that we're all in is an expression of meditation. It's one way which has been found through thousands of years of experimentation to be extremely useful or is to bring everything to a halt, talking, looking, etc. But it isn't meditation, or is it's sitting meditation. And so it's all too easy to fall into the habit of making this hall and this particular posture the place that we scurry to and leave from, and then drop that quality of attention that we'll be encouraging you to develop over this weekend. Whereas really, meditation is a way of living. Now, you don't have to live this way, but I would like to at least uh, present it in such a way so that you can have a feeling for the fullness of meditation. It has to, to do with a, an open inquiry into our life as we live it from moment to moment. And it's been found that sitting still is one thing that helps that inquiry along in fact, quite dramatically. However, if you become attached to this particular position, then what will happen is you'll tend to think of this as being what meditation is. And of course, that means that everything other than sitting, the way we are now, is non-meditation. And that leads to a lot of problems. So what I'd like to suggest is a way of viewing meditation where there's no particular place to do it or put another way, is wherever you are is fine. And we happen to be here sitting on cushions. And so we'll develop the ability to do that well. But the moment we get up from our cushion, I don't know, in half an hour or so, 40 minutes, whatever it is that we move to is not inferior to this that we're doing right now. Nor is it superior. It's just what's next. And it's one of the hardest things to learn, which is, another way of putting it is, total respect for life, our own life, as we live it from moment to moment. If we don't learn it, and that's why I feel uh, very important to emphasize this, particularly with people relatively new or totally new to this path, what tends to happen is we isolate the sitting meditation practice, we isolate Barry, we dip it in bronze and put it on our mantelpiece and come to think of that as sacred, that as worthwhile, that's where growth goes on, perhaps enlightenment or God-realization comes out of that. And then what is the rest of it? The rest of it becomes discredited. And we've already come here because to some degree perhaps we're having a hard time with the rest of it. And so it's a very thin edge that we're of, of attempting to accomplish on a weekend like this to encourage you to fully make the most use of this extraordinary posture and activity, which is called sitting meditation, 
without throwing out anything in your life. Nothing. Now, you may have come here wanting to. Wanting to throw out where you've come from or particular experiences that are lodged in your memory. And wanting this idyllic weekend in the country, perhaps to rescue us from something that we think we're escaping from. And so, our job here is to encourage you to go deeply, sit quietly, and yet to do all the ordinary things in life with the same quality of attention, without exception. Let me read to you something that was said 2,500 years ago. And it was said, supposedly, by a human being, that statue was supposed to represent him. I don't know what relationship it has to the actual person who lived then, but it is an example of excellent posture, at very least. And if you look closely, there's a very beautiful expression on his face. What was said was, whether going out or returning, the yogi, that's you, I mean, you don't have to accept that name, it just means somebody who's looking into their life, somebody who's begun to meditate. Whether going out or returning, the yogi acts with full attention. Whether looking ahead or looking around, he or she acts with full attention. Whether bending an arm or straightening it, he or she acts with full attention. In taking one's overrobe, bowl and spare underrobe, the yogi acts with full attention. Whether defecating or urinating, he or she acts with full attention. Whether walking, standing or sitting, whether resting or awake, whether talking or silent, he or she acts with full attention. In other words, everywhere, every place, every posture, nothing is too trivial. Everything that we encounter is our life. And meditation is designed to bring an increasingly sensitive and clear seeing to those moments as we live them. Um, I'm going to distribute these. I've made up copies for all of us and I'd like you to view them in a certain way. The quote that I just read. Um, To add to what Jean Ann said, I would like to strongly suggest those of you who have, particularly those of you here for the first time, you may not fully realize the value of doing nothing or having so little to do here. So what I'd like to suggest is that you don't read. There's a library full of books and perhaps you've brought brought some books just in case things get boring for you. Please don't read. Now, it's your choice. No one is going to police you at all. But I'd like to suggest you don't read. If you can, don't write. If you can, don't make any phone calls. If you can, don't speak to anyone unless it's really necessary. But I realize that's very difficult. And so we're going to give you this little miniature sacred text. And so if you absolutely feel a craving that you must look at the printed word, then just look at this and read it and try to live it. But trying to live it doesn't mean you have to force anything because all that's being said here is just live. We already are doing all these things. And it's simply remembering to bring a bit more care and attention to these activities than we usually do. 
For example, if we went around the room, I'm certain that everyone in this room has some area where they, uh, they love, something that they love to do. Perhaps you excel in it. Maybe it's taking photographs or playing tennis. It could be anything. In that activity, you're probably very attentive. Probably a high degree of alertness. And because there's affection for the activity, you have plenty of energy. And it feels good. And we like to do that over and over. And then as soon as we leave that activity, the attention falls away dramatically. And one of the main things, perhaps the main thing, that we're beginning to develop in this weekend is to break through that predilection for one activity over another, over and above another. And so that urinating or defecating, and this is not in any way you know, sacrilegious, is not inferior to sitting on this cushion. Eating our meal, taking a walk, putting on your coat. So essentially we're learning how to live. That's how I would see it. Put in a very ordinary language, when we gather together here, we're learning the art of living. But this art of living is not something that I have to give to you or anyone else has to give to you. It's not a a recipe or a formula. This art of living is something that each one of us digs out of ourself. Through the endless revision that comes about through this alert attention in the midst of our life from moment to moment. And so what we're beginning to do, if you are beginning to do it, perhaps you've already started, we're starting to take a look at how we actually live. Actually, how do we actually live? And it's very helpful if you can come to this weekend empty-handed. Meaning, for the moment, check all the theories and explanations, including even the Buddhas if you have that. And just in a, being empty-handed, meaning real innocent. And just take a look at how you tie your shoelaces, how you walk, reactions that you have, annoyance with people for doing certain things, pleasure when people do something else. This art of living develops as we become in direct contact with how we actually live. Because if you really pay attention as to how you actually live, certain things can't be done anymore. Well, let's say they become more and more difficult to do. A false note is experienced. It's quite obvious. And it's not so much cultivating idealized styles, imitating this way or that way, as by seeing those aspects of life that don't work, particular ways of relating to our body, of using our body, emotional states and the way we relate to those emotional states, the way we relate to nature, to food, it's endless. In paying attention, there's an intelligence at work that each one of us has access to. In a sense, we are it. We are this intelligence. And if we can only become a bit more still and relaxed, out of that stillness and relaxation comes a listening and a seeing, and the corrections grow out of that. In other words, the art of living is constantly unfolding. It's not a prearranged program or a package. From that point of view, there is no path. You know, we talk a lot about spiritual paths. 
and it's a useful word. But what is being suggested here is that each one of us is making up our own path as we go along. And the path comes out of this sensitive examination of our experience as we have it, as we have experience. Now, this setting that you've all voluntarily come to, I assume it's voluntary. Well, there's one father and son here. I don't know. I, hope, I think it is also voluntary. This setting is an intentionally designed one. It's not an accident. I'd like to give you a, a bit of a, a metaphor for it as I see it. It's just one way to look at it. In ancient alchemy, what is being suggested is that base metals are transmuted into gold. And on one level, that's looking at phenomena or stuff, matter, material. The inner meaning is that the base metal is transmuted into gold, meaning base metal is ourselves as we find ourselves. At this moment, I mean, I don't know most of you, but we all have particular ways of living that are problematic for ourselves and for others. We're a problem to ourselves. And if we are a problem to ourselves, how can we not be a problem to others? And so this base metal, in a sense, is our personality, our way of living, our character, habits. This base metal is transmuted into gold. The gold meaning say, spiritual states or states that are more healthy, free, loving, compassionate. And the the movement from base metal into gold comes about through fire. The fire has to be very sustained and it has to be in a hermetically sealed container. Can you get the image? I mean, it's the flame is, is there and what's in the container can't escape. And it's through that application of this flame that we burn away all these things that have brought us here, in a sense. Because if everything was great, there would be no need to come here. I see this sometimes as the last chance hotel. When you've gotten Feldenkrais and Ralph and acupunctured and astrologied and macrobiotic and all, you know. Not that those aren't useful. I do them myself. Finally, it dawns on us, at least for some of us, that we have to take a look at ourselves. This just very simple and basic. We have to put the mirror in front of ourselves and look. Okay, so that's a, the hermetically sealed image, I feel, applies to a retreat center because all of the things we've been saying so far, the rules and regulations, keeping silence and not reading, etc. It's a container. IMS is that container. And we have all voluntarily handed ourselves over to it. The flame is awareness. We've all come with a flame which has a different degree of intensity. And our job here, as I see it, is to begin a very beautiful process of helping you to not need help anymore or even when taking help from another, to be taking it as an independent person rather than as as a beggar. How are we to help you to help yourself? It's mainly through encouraging this awareness 
applying it, bringing it into our lives as we live it from moment to moment. And the setting helps that happen. We're contained for this weekend with certain rules that simplify life quite dramatically. You have almost nothing to do but be with yourself and move with groups of people and notice your reactions to that movement. Okay, so this art of living is something that each one of us has to discover and it's ongoing. In a way, you learn the art of living by learning how unskillfully we're already living. This is not to condemn it. It just seems to be a fact. It it feels that way to me. And so the primary attitude here is one of learning. It's the willingness to bring great care and attention, to bring that flame, bring it in contact with every aspect of our life. And that, to me, is far more important than any particular technique. And we will have a few techniques that will, in a sense, help develop that flame. So that although problems will come up, always, even for the Buddha as a totally enlightened being, problems came up, even at the very end. But in developing this flame, there's this feeling that you're up to it that no matter what comes up, it's all right. You can work with it. In fact, sometimes what seems to be terrible and negative is tremendously welcomed because of the the energy that's trapped in what we consider to be our problems, which becomes available to us as soon as we relax a bit and face it in a new way, face things in a new way. Okay. Silence is quite fragile. That's one of the things that's helping this container to do its job. So please, if you've come with someone, I know how tempting it is to start a conversation and perhaps share how much you love being here, how much you hate being here. Try to refrain from that. You'll see your friend at the end of the retreat. It'll be even more rich. You're here for something else. It's to be with yourself. And yet, to be with others. That's a meditation group. We're we're alone here. And we're also very much together. It seems that people have learned for centuries now that self-knowledge, although it's valued, is difficult. And for most of us, there's a fear of it. The fear is the fear of ourselves. Why are we afraid of ourselves? Each person has to face that one directly. If you take advantage of this situation, you may find out a lot about relationship just by, in a sense, minimizing relationship here. It's only for a couple of days. And so please, if you can, work with whatever comes up and have the attitude that no matter what it is, and you'll go through a full range, if you're human, you're going to go through a full range of feelings about this place and your being here. Instead of seeing it as a problem or as an obstacle, see it as a challenge. In a sense, it's growing pains. We're all here, obviously, we've come here to grow, to unfold. And some of the things that come up can be very useful, but only if our attitude is appropriate, if we can kind of lighten things up 
soften things and be with restlessness, be with loneliness or boredom or annoyance or whatever it is, and seeing that as valuable as perhaps the states that you've come for, like peace, joy, and so forth. Okay, to get back to the, this flame, one of the ways in which we're going to develop the flame is through the sitting practice. The foundation has to do with acquiring a seat. Have we all acquired a seat right now? As I look around, it looks doubtful. That is, many of us are uncomfortable, squirming. Perhaps you're, you're in pain. Modifying your posture from moment to moment. To put it another way, if we can acquire a seat, meaning learning how to bring the body into a stable and comfortable position, that's the first step on the way. That is, if the body can settle down and become stable, then that facilitates the mind settling down and becoming stable. And so a lot of what we're going to be doing here on the weekend is learning how to develop a steadiness of mind. We'll tonight begin with the breath. And then as the weekend unfolds, taking that steadiness and using it. Or as the mind will increasingly become fit to inquire into itself. This inquiry is not intellectual, although sometimes it may be. But it's mainly nonverbal. It's a looking. It's a listening. Okay, for those of you who are new to this, you're not going to acquire this seat overnight. It takes practice like anything else. And so we begin by finding what's comfortable. Are you comfortable at this moment? If not, perhaps experiment. Putting your legs one way or another. It takes a while to find out how you should sit. Each one of us will probably use our legs in a somewhat different way. Please know that during the retreat you can stand up if it becomes very problematic to be seated in this position. And I suppose you'll have to take it on faith, but as the body settles down and becomes more still, the mind settles down and becomes more still. And as the mind settles down and becomes more still, stillness itself looks at itself and becomes more still. And that's the direction of this journey. Okay, so if we can, sitting in an upright posture, meaning that the head, neck, and back are in one straight line. Chin is tucked down just slightly, perhaps a quarter of an inch or so. That facilitates breathing. Perhaps take a deep breath or two. Just naturally inhale through the nose and out through the nose two or three times. Smoothly and rhythmically, not forcing it. Finding some place for your hands. Folding your hands, putting them on your thighs or knees. Checking your body. 
checking to see if there's any tension in the body. Perhaps look at the eyes. Very common. The eyes can be hard. If so, simply looking at them often softens the eyes. The roof of the mouth. The jaw. For many of us, the shoulders, especially if we're striving. And if there is any tension in the body, simply bringing a very gentle attention to it. And so now, to the best of our ability, we're seated in an upright posture. Close your eyes if you like. If some of you have developed a habit of sitting with the eyes half closed, that's fine. If you're new, try it with your eyes closed and see what happens. And notice at this moment Each one of us can notice this, guaranteed, that we're breathing. Everyone in this room is breathing. What one person breathes out, another person breathes in. We're totally interrelated. It's not an ideology. And in just a very common sense way, we're beginning to know ourselves. And one good way to start is to simply become more familiar with breathing. Each one of us breathes. It's fundamental to living. In many traditions, the breath is considered holy. Of course, the breath doesn't care what it's considered. It has a very important job to do. And so we're noticing what it feels like to be a breathing being, an entity that breathes. Nothing to do. The breathing does itself. Experiencing the sensations in the body which have come about because we're breathing. contact the nostrils, perhaps feeling surgings in the chest, perhaps experiencing the abdomen, moving, swelling up, expanding, and then contracting. But none of these words and no pictures, simply what you actually feel in the body because you're breathing right now.
sitting here, breathing. Although it's been suggested that we pay attention to the breath, from time to time, our mind goes its own way. Attention goes to where it wants to go. And we find ourselves remembering or planning, caught up in something that is not the breath. As soon as we see that we're not experiencing breathing, very gently, without it being forced, without viewing the movement of mind away from the breath as being a mistake or weakness, but simply the mind's preference. Very gently easing back, very gracefully, to the in-breath and the out-breath. And as many times as our mind may move from breathing, that many times coming back. Now, you've been watching the breath for a few moments. Can you tell if it's easier for you to bring attention to that aspect of breathing that happens around the nose or that aspect that happens around the abdomen? Get a sense of which seems to be a better object of attention for you. If you can't tell yet, then keep working with the whole breath or pick one. It really doesn't matter. What I'd suggest is when you get a sense of where your preference really is, work with that for the retreat, for the weekend. The nose or the abdomen Now, sometimes people will say, I'm naturally much more drawn to the whole breath as we've started off. That's fine. But for many, that's a lot. And it becomes too vague. So right off, we're learning to make our own choices. We're having to pay attention and to notice. Where is it best for me to bring attention regarding the breath? Is it the nose? Is it the abdomen? 
And so the learning process is beginning. You're the teacher and you're the student. So if it's the abdomen, we're experiencing it rising and falling, a kind of surging, an expansion and a contraction. If it's the nose, you can feel the air coming in, the air coming out. It touches the tip of the nose. And if attention wanders, we notice it, and very gently, we glide back to the breathing. In the last few minutes of this sitting, let's reflect a bit a bit of appreciation if it comes to you, it may not. In the Buddhist tradition, as a reflection, an appreciation of the existence of a person called the Buddha, someone who did what we're doing directly entered into self-knowledge, looked directly, listened. And out of that very strenuous and dedicated inquiry and meditation came a sense of the lawfulness of the way things are. called Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A, truth. On the level of words, it's the teaching, but deeper, it's what the teachings come out of, the verbal expression of that which makes the words meaningful. But there is a lawfulness to this universe, to us. And we're looking at it. It's working right now. And a reflection and appreciation of the community, of people who've gathered together. And whether we know it or not, each one of us is supporting the other in this inquiry, in this path of self-knowing. sometimes called the Sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A, in Buddhist, in the Pali language. Community of those people walking the path together. Sometimes very helpful to know that there are others.
we're attempting to grasp the significance of their life, each one of us. We're starting off by simply noticing the breath. And as we leave this room, the bell will be struck in a moment. Those of you who are uncomfortable will be released. As you raise your body up from the cushion, see if you can't maintain the flow of attention. So as we make our way to perhaps the dining room or to your room or outside for a few moments, seeing that as not inferior to being on the cushion, not superior to it, but simply where we encounter our life at that moment, and bringing a very soft, light attention to what it feels like to be moving out of this room. Tonight, going to sleep with a bit more awareness than perhaps we usually do or able to. Certain things that are easier to do here. You can get undressed carefully, enter into the bed, go to sleep to your breath. And when we awaken in the morning, the bell will be awakened at 5.30. Beginning that process once again, right from the bed, noticing what it's like to be waking up tomorrow morning, making our way here into the hall. Many of you have put in a full day's work, come some distance and My suggestion is you get a good night's rest. And to help that to be a reality, I'm going to hit the bell. I'd like to pass out in some prominent place in your room, you feel a craving to read or write or talk to your friend, or even no craving, just from time to time, look at it. But let me suggest a way of working with it. It's not something you just glance at casually. Sacred texts, and this is just a fragment from a sacred text, are meant to be worked with in a very different way. Books like the Bible, like the Bhagavad Gita, Koran, etc., This quote is taken out of one of these sacred texts. There's a tremendous amount of energy in it. So you have to put the same amount of attention into it. It's like eating whole grains. You have to chew harder. But there's also more food value that you get out of it. And so read the quote, reflect on it. My goodness, even paying attention to when I urinate. And then bring it into life. Do it. And see what comes out of that. If there isn't a change in the quality of your life, and we're not doing it just like that, something happens 
This transmutation comes about as we direct attention to our life. It's very powerful as it gets stronger, especially. But don't take what I just said to be a mandate for striving and kind of grim, humorless, joyless, trying to pay attention to everything you're doing. It's a lot lighter. And also, guaranteed, we all will forget. We'll pay attention and we'll forget. We'll pay attention and we'll forget. And that's why sometimes this practice is called the practice of recollection. Because the instructions are remarkably simple. The difficulty is that we keep forgetting to pay attention to our life as we live it. And one of the reasons we gather together is to help each other pay attention. Okay, get a good night's rest. I hope we can work together in harmony, move through whatever comes up. See you at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.